Amen. What a wonderful God uh, that we serve. So earlier uh, this week, uh, I struggled to know uh, what exactly uh, we were going to talk about on Sunday. I have a, a preaching calendar that I update uh, throughout the year uh, to have a general idea of the direction that will be headed uh, throughout the year uh, with our different messages. But periodically, I have... Uh, Different weeks uh, I call one-timers that are basically just uh, standalones that don't fit in with a series. We don't have time uh, to fit in a series in between, like right before Palm Sunday or Easter, or there's just different breaks throughout the year uh, where we have sermons that don't fit in uh, with a series. And generally with these different one-timers, with these different uh, standalones, I don't know what I'm going to uh, speak on uh, until the week of. And sometimes the topic comes to me without much difficulty, just like that. I go, aha, that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be great. Other times, uh, it's a real struggle to determine what to speak on. And uh, this past week was one of those weeks where it was a real struggle. I was uh, looking online, all these different uh, sermon ideas that we could talk about, and just nothing was uh, speaking to me. And as always, I pray to God uh, for him to speak through me and for him to pick what he wants me to talk about. Because ultimately, I don't want to talk about what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about what you guys want to talk about, but ultimately, I want to talk about what the Lord wants us to talk about. And that's my prayer a week in and week out as I take on uh, this responsibility of delivering God's word. And so as I was praying to God and kept on searching, feeling like I wasn't getting any answers, um, eventually, uh, I, I felt God leading me uh, towards uh, the topic of conflict, a, a fun, uh, peachy uh, conversation. Uh, but that became more and more uh, confirmed the more I looked into it. This past week, I actually uh, started uh, and finished uh, a book uh, that we're planning uh, to use for the Young Adult uh, Getaway, a retreat later on this year uh, that I have part of the leadership in that. And uh, one of the books that, or the book that we'll be reading uh, for that week is Find Your People, a book that a couple, uh, I know a couple of ladies uh, have read or started to read that the past uh, couple of uh, weeks. But as I was reading it, there's more uh, information about how to handle conflict. And it felt like a direct answer from God that, yes, this is what God uh, wanted me uh, to speak about. And so lo and behold, we are talking about how to handle conflict uh, this morning. And as I got working on uh, this material, there was a lot more info uh, than we could fit into one Sunday uh, morning. So we'll be talking about how to handle conflict uh, this Sunday. And sometime uh, later in the year, we'll be talking about a related uh, topic of gossip. But as we talk about handling conflict this morning, these, these principles that we talk about, these can be uh, applied to any area of our life. For our conversation this morning, much of the context will be within the church, as that's what we are. We are within uh, the church. But this can be applied with your family at home. This can be applied to uh, your workplace and, and your job, whether to your boss or coworkers or employees. This can be applied to school, applied to your circle of friends, and it can be applied to any area that you come into contact with other people in your life, as these are universal principles when dealing with conflict. 
And so if you follow these guidelines, if you follow these principles of handling conflict that we, talk, that we will talk about today, you will see improvements in your home life with your family. You'll see improvements with the relationships with your friends. You'll see improvements in your work environment. And with all of, the, with all of us implementing these principles together, uh, my hope and prayer is that we'll see improvements within the church family as well. And I sincerely uh, look forward to that as no organization handles conflict perfectly. Not a single organization, no family, no group of friends, no business, no church handles conflict perfectly. However, we can strive to get as close to perfect as possible. And so as we talk about conflict this morning, there's one really important misunderstanding that we have to address first and foremost. And that misunderstanding is that conflict is not automatically a bad thing. Say that again. Conflict is not automatically a bad thing. With many things in life, you can have either a good form of an object or a bad form of an object. And and I have a demonstration for you guys to illustrate uh, this point. Here I have two apples. One apple and I have a second apple. These are both honey crisp apples. Inherently, they are neither good or bad, but it's the qualities of the apple that make them good or bad. This apple here, it looks good. Yeah, it tastes pretty good too. This is a good apple. I, I hear Jen, Jen's plugging her ears here. She can't stand the talking while I'm eating this good, good apple. <laughs> But over here, I have a chunk of apple stuck in my throat. But over here, we have another apple. And this is not a good apple. This is a yucky apple. This is an apple that has been infested by a toddler earlier in the week. And it is starting to rot. And so this no longer is a good apple. So we have two of the same things, two honey crisp apples. One is good and one is bad. And that applies with pretty much most things in life. They are not inherently good or bad. And similarly, conflict is not inherently good or bad. Does anybody want this good apple? (laughs) Maybe I'll eat it later for a snack. So conflict's not inherently uh, bad or good. It's not automatically uh, bad. Um, And conflict, actually, a a couple causes of conflict are good things, actually. When we think about conflict and what causes conflict, two uh, main ingredients of conflict is proximity and movement. Think about the conflict that you experience in your life. Conflict, uh, we, we often experience this with people that we are closest to, people that we are very close in proximity to. Think of uh, like your spouse, your kids, your friends, your siblings. You experience varying levels of conflict with each of these different people. And we may ask why. Well, I think because one of the main ingredients is that you are close to these people and naturally you're going to experience conflict with people that you are close to. 
Another sign or another ingredient or cause of conflict is movement as well. When we are moving in a direction, there is a, uh, and we're not uh, content with uh, remaining in the status quo, there begins to be some sort of friction and tension taking place. When things are set in motion, there, there's friction. And so we experience conflict when both of these ingredients are at play. If we are just close in proximity, but there's no movement, how much friction is there, is there taking place right now? None, because there's no movement. And when we're, we're moving in directions, but we're not close with one another, how much friction is taking place? None. But it's only when we are close with people and we are moving in a direction that we have friction, that we have tension, and then conflict comes into play as well. And these are two ingredients that we love, love, love to have within church. We are a family. And so we want to be close. We want to have these good relationships with one another. And similarly, another very good ingredient of a healthy church is a church that is moving. We never want to be content with the status quo. We, we never want to be stagnant in our growth. Because if you're stagnant, you're dying. A stagnant church is a dying church. And so we, we, we want to be a church that is close and moving together. The thing then, that the repercussions of this is naturally conflict is going to come into play in our lives, in our circle of friends, in our families, and within church. But again, that's not a bad thing. Conflict in of itself is not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when we handle it in all of the wrong ways. And so that's going to be the bulk of our focus this morning is how to handle conflict. Because in my eyes, that's what can make conflict turn into a good form of, con uh, of conflict or make it turn into a negative form of conflict. Because I see a lot of people in life, in the world, a lot of people handle conflict in the wrong way. And I think that's why we have such a negative uh, connotation with the word conflict, because we see all these issues that arise from conflict. And I think it's because people are handling conflict in all of the wrong ways. Fortunately for us, Jesus tells us how we should handle conflict. And Jesus, he, he is a pretty wise guy. He is the son of God. He has the answers for us. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the words of Jesus and how we are to handle conflict in our life. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, probably a passage that a handful of you guys are familiar with. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll be reading uh, verses 15 through 16. And here in, in this context, Jesus, he is talking with his disciples. His disciples are asking him a handful of questions. And Jesus, he, he's using this as a teaching opportunity to teach his disciples how to walk life. And, and so here in the midst of this conversation, Jesus tells them in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
I'll actually read one more. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Jesus here, again, he's referring to the setting of a church. In church, we are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus says, when one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, when, when they wrong you, when they sin against you, Jesus tells us to gather a big group of people and to, to try and sort this, out, sort this out as a big group of people. That's what Jesus tells us. No, 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 not, not, not at all. That, that is not what Jesus tells us. Jesus says that there's conflict. If your brother sins against you, uh, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the key word that I want you to take note of there in verse 15, that we are to go and approach them alone. That's the very first line of defense against conflict, is that we go and we address it to them alone. You don't do anything else until you address that person directly. You don't bring anyone else into this situation. You don't bring anyone else into this conflict. If you bring other people into this conflict before you try and settle it between uh, you and them, then you are going against the words of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not a place that I want to be. I want to follow and submit to the words of Jesus. But now the issue, when I take a look at the world around us, when a lot of people, when they experience conflict, their gut reaction is to go and tell their friends, to go and tell their families, to go and tell those around them, and how this person wronged you. And this is how conflict can really spiral out of hand. And it's then contrary to human nature and getting everybody else plugged into the, the, this problem, this drama that, that we are experiencing. Jesus says to address them alone, one on one. It is only then, if you can't solve it, if you can't solve it between the two of you, it's only then that you bring in just one or two other people. Jesus says don't bring in the whole village with, with you to try and solve this conflict, to solve how uh, this person may have wronged you. But instead, just bring one or two other reliable, mature people, God-fearing people, to help sort this issue out. And so after this second step, after the second line of defense, the truth of the matter is that about 99% of conflict should be solved at this point in time. Because really, a lot of times when we experience conflict, the issue is just miscommunication. How many of you guys have been in a conflict and you got so riled up all to find out that it was just a simple miscommunication? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been there, done that. If your hand's not up, you're a liar. Yeah, we, we, we have all been there. We have all been there where we experience conflict and the issue is simply a miscommunication. And I think that's why Jesus tells us to first go and approach the person alone. Because a lot of times, it's that simple to solve the conflict. It's that simple to, to solve the conflict, which was caused by the ingredients of proximity and movement. So talk to them alone. If you can't solve it then, then bring in one or two other trusted people and, and try to come with some sort of resolution. Jesus then says... Uh, if you can't uh, solve it just between 
uh, you and that person, and you can't solve this conflict when you bring in just a couple of uh, other people. He says uh, in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So if you can't solve it with just a couple uh, of trusted people, trusted God-fearing people uh, with you, then Jesus says, take it to the church. And I don't think Jesus means come, come during announcement time or prayer requests or praise time and go and share this conflict that you are having uh, with other people, whether in the church or, or outside of the church as well. Instead, I think Jesus talked about bring it to the leaders of the church. Bring your issues, bring your problems, bring your conflicts to the leaders of the church. And this church, that would be bringing it to either myself bringing it to Brian here, bringing it to Mark, or bringing it to John uh, in the back there. Bring it to the church if you can't solve it with just a couple uh, of your trusted friends. And if that still doesn't solve the conflict in the context of within the church, Jesus says to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, Jesus is saying you don't consider them to be a fellow brother or sister in Christ. As the Gentiles, the tax collectors, at this point in time, they, they, were, not, they were not aimed at fellowship in the brothers and the sisters in Christ. So if they don't follow even the church, then it's at that point that we take our, our step away from them. We, we, we put some distance between them and ourselves, and uh, we treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. So that is the model that Jesus provides for us in how to handle conflict in the specific setting of the church. But again, I think this, this, this solution, this, this equation, can be applied to any area of our life. But especially here in the church. So first line of defense, handle it yourselves. Second line of defense, bring in one or two other people. And third line of defense, bring it to the leaders of the church or whatever other organization uh, that you are a part of. And so I want to spend some time and, and talking about how to deal with that first line of defense and, and dealing with this person directly alone. How should this be done? This is the part uh, that tied in uh, with the book that I read uh, earlier this week, Find Your People uh, by Jenny Allen. Jenny provides four tips to help us handle conflict on that one-on-one -on -one basis when we have the courage to, to go and approach them directly and, and, and we don't cower and, and go and tell all our friends and families and so forth. But when we have the courage and boldness and obedience to approach this person one-on-one. -on -one. So the first tip to help you handle that one-on-one -on -one is to assume the best. This is a lesson I remember my mom uh, teaching me when I was learning how to drive. I don't even remember uh, what exactly the driver uh, behind me was doing. If I remember correctly, the driver, uh, we were stopped at a red light, and all of a sudden the light turned green, and uh, the driver uh, ahead of us uh, didn't step on the gas, and they were just waiting. And I got annoyed, and I got aggravated. I was like, oh, they need to get off of their phone. They need to get with the program. And I was aggravated, uh, but my mom uh, essentially uh, told me that you don't know uh, what's going on in that vehicle ahead of you. Assume the best. Don't just assume that they are sitting on their phone. That, that's what I assumed. I assumed that they were, my mic off. I didn't even notice I talked so loud. 
Good, good, yes, there we go. Um, and, and, and so I just assumed the worst and the driver ahead of me, and that caused me to be very aggravated and very annoyed in my life. But my mom essentially told me uh, in that moment, in that great teaching moment, assume the best in other people. And I'm sure if uh, my mom were here today, she, she would not remember that instance uh, at all. Uh, but that's a lesson uh, that stuck uh, with me. I lost my mic. Thank you. Awesome. We're set. We're locked and loaded. So I would encourage you guys to assume the best in others. Oftentimes, we, we have this tendency to assume the worst in people when in our side of the story, it looks like they wronged us. We have to assume the best. Assume that maybe they didn't understand what they were doing to you or whatever it may be. I'm telling you, you will experience a lot more peace in your life. How many people want peace in their life? I want peace in my life. You will experience more peace in your life if you assume the best in other people. And that will help you handle conflict one-on-one -on -one if you assume the best in them. Try to see it from their side. That, that is a very, very valuable trait to be able to see the story on the other side and assume the best in them. So that's tip number one in how to address people one-on-one. -on -one. Tip number two, keep short accounts. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, 26, don't let the sun down on your anger. If you are bothered by something someone does, then go ahead and address them directly. However, do not keep a long running list of things that someone has wronged you by. Don't let the sun down on your anger. Don't be bitter about things that happened weeks or months or years ago. If it's bothering you, then direct it, then direct them at that moment. But, but don't keep a long running list of ways in which you have been wronged by this person. Don't be bitter. That, that is a bitter lifestyle, and that is a lifestyle uh, that will not reap much joy and peace and patience and kindness and so forth. So tip number two, keep short accounts, uh, uh, and your conflict will be a lot easier to settle between you and that person. Tip number three, be quick to apologize. This is one uh, that I've learned a lot as well in the past five or so years. Uh, one, uh, I've shared with you all before that in the Enneagram, I'm a three, uh, which is an achiever, and achievers care what other people think about them. And so for the longest time, I never wanted to apologize. I never wanted to say the words, I'm sorry. That was like stabbing myself with a knife and twisting it in my heart. I'm sorry, because I didn't want people to think that I was imperfect. That's what I didn't want. I didn't want them to think that I could possibly make a mistake in my life, that I could possibly be mean or rude or whatever uh, the case may be. But eventually, uh, I, I learned, and I, I think I, I learned this a lot in, in, in close relationships, um, I, I learned that it's not too bad admitting that you are at fault. It's not so bad to say the words, I'm sorry. It gets easier and easier and easier. I, I remember, I, I put a timeline about five or so years because I remember I probably caused Jamie a lot of grief early on in our relationship because I refused to say I'm sorry. And I'm sure I caused her much grief. But eventually, I learned that it's not so bad to say I'm sorry. And, and 
I like to think now, Jamie might uh, say, tell a different story, but I like to think that I've grown in this area a lot. I'm a lot quicker to apologize. And I can tell you conflicts are resolved a lot faster and a lot easier as well. It's not that bad. Saying I'm sorry, that starts the healing process. It's not the end of the healing process. That's not all that you have to do is simply say, I'm sorry, all right, we're done, and walk away. No, but that's just, that's the start of the healing process. A lot of times the healing process won't start until you say, I'm sorry. And even if perhaps you don't think you are at fault, but they do, I still encourage you to say, I'm sorry. And I know that can be difficult. That, that is a phrase that is difficult to say to your friends, a, a phrase that's difficult to say to your spouse, your kids, your parents, uh, boss, coworkers, whomever it may be. But they are so, so powerful. They can start the healing process in your life and getting and, and resolving the conflict in your lives. So I want everybody to re- repeat after me. I'm sorry. Very good. Yeah, say it to your neighbor. I'm sorry. Say it to your other neighbor. There you go, yeah. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's only going to get easier and easier as you do it more often. So saying, I'm sorry, get over uh, your, your self-image and, and just admit at fault, when you're at fault and be quick to apologize. You will reap the benefits if you do so. The fourth tip in how to handle conflict one-on-one is to aim to be a peacemaker, Paul tells us in Romans 12, if possible, so far it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So Paul says, if it's at all possible on your end, try to be at peace with all men. We're not talking about just your family, your closest friends, your, 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 your coworkers, but all men. So far it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Jesus, on a similar note, tells us in Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so I encourage you guys, strive to make peace with all people. Follow the example of the prince of peace, Jesus. Follow the example of the apostle Paul, aiming to make peace with all people, with all men and women and children. And Jesus tells us that if we exhibit this character, if if we strive to be peacemakers, then Jesus tells you that, hey, listen up. You should be called a son or daughter of God. That's what at stake, that's what's at stake in being a peacemaker. And so when we address someone one on one, our motive, our end goal is to make peace. We're not trying to pour gasoline on the fire. We're not trying to throw more logs on the fire. Instead, we're trying to put the fire out. We, we are striving to make peace with all men. And so if you follow these four tips, I'm telling you, it's going to be much, much easier to resolve that conflict one on one. So in conclusion, conflict not necessarily a good or bad thing. It depends on how we handle it. How we handle it makes it either good conflict or bad conflict. If conflict is handled poorly, relationships can be damaged. They can be completely destroyed. If handled properly, though, it can actually serve as an opportunity to grow closer to each other. 
And so our first line of defense in handling conflict is addressing the, that person directly alone. Everybody say alone. If you don't get anything else from this morning, get this one point, that your first line of defense is handling, is directly addressing this person alone. Do not bring other people into the situation. Because I'm telling you, more often than not, it's just a miscommunication or it's another small issue that the two of you can handle, just the two of you. So your first line of defense, handling it alone. If that doesn't work, then you bring in just one or two other people, trusted people, and then you bring it to uh, the leadership. And then we have to remember as we are addressing this person one-on-one, we have to, one, assume the best in others. We have to, two, keep short accounts. Three, we have to be quick to apologize. And four, we have to aim to be a peacemaker. These are principles you can apply into all areas of your life. And I really look forward to seeing what God does in and through us as a church. Talk about us, this church family. I look forward to seeing what God can do in and through us as we all come together on the same team as we seek to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. Let's not conflict get in the way of our vision. Let's not conflict get in the way of saving someone from the gates of hell and bringing them into the gates of God's coming kingdom. That is what is at stake this morning. So we've got to handle it properly and let it serve as an opportunity for us to grow closer to each other. But I don't know about you, but me, I look forward to that day and age where conflict will be removed once and for all. There's a day coming, and that is going to be a glorious day because we're all going to be close. We're all going to be moving in the exact same direction. If we're all moving in the exact same direction, then again, there's no friction. There's no tension. There's no conflict. And that day and age is God's coming kingdom. And we are able to enter into God's coming kingdom because about 2,000 years ago, the prince of peace laid down his life for you and I. And so as we partake of communion this morning, as we reflect and remember the price that was paid 2,000 years ago, I encourage you to reflect and think about the Prince of Peace, how Jesus, he exhibited peace all throughout his life. And even when he was hanging on that cross, he exhibited peace. He was the true Prince of Peace in our life, and he demonstrated that on the cross for us. And so this bread which we're about to partake together. This bread represents the body of the Prince of Peace being broken for you and I. Let's go ahead and let's pray over this bread. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, which is only made possible through uh, your son. He is the only way, the only truth, and, and the only way to life. And so, Father, I pray that we follow the example that your son has set before us as he truly exhibited the principles of being the prince of peace on that cross. So I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for everything that this 
bread and this cup represent to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Partake of the bread together. Jesus was hanging there on the cross with the crown of thorns, people mocking him, people spitting at him as his nails were pierced through his hands or wrists and his feet. And as he was being tortured from these people, the Prince of Peace said, Father, forgive these people as his blood was being spilt on behalf of all of us. What a beautiful, beautiful representation this is. Let's pray over the cup. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the blood that was spilt on behalf of each and every one of us. Father, I thank you for your grand plan from the beginning that you would save us from our own sins, from our own issues, from our own problems. And you do that by laying your son Jesus down for us and having his blood spilled for each and every one of us. And so, Father, I pray that we do not take the sacrifice lightly, that we take it and it changes our lives and we use it to grow closer to you and we use it to expand your coming kingdom as we try to mimic the life of the Prince of Peace. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and partake of the cup together. Father, you are good, you are great, you are loving, you are caring, you are abounding in truth and love. Father, you forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin when we seek that repentance, when we seek that forgiveness. As a father, I thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for this church. It's in Christ's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing Broken Vessels, Amazing Grace? 